0: You're listening to audio from Stapleton Baptist Church. If you would like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit stapletonbaptistchurch.org. We pray this message blesses you. ...of the glory of God. That's what I imagine the soldiers caught just a glimpse of in the garden when they fell back in awe when Jesus identifies himself. You see, Jesus shines so brightly in the darkness. And the darkness that began in chapter 18 will continue to grow darker and darker. But one thing I want us to see through all this darkness and pain and suffering is that Jesus shines brighter the darker it gets. His faithfulness stands out in contrast to the betrayal of Judas. His confidence stands out in contrast to the hesitation of the soldiers. His resolve stands out against the denial of Peter and we'll see his holiness and perfection stand out in stark contrast to the wickedness of the Jews. When we read the passion of the Christ and his suffering and the agonizing death, it shouldn't lead us to feel sorry for Jesus or to pity Jesus. It's, it should lead us to worship Jesus. We should respond in worship that our Savior would endure the cross on our behalf and out of love for us and obedience for the Father. This was always his plan. Now, just a reminder of of where we're at today. Last week, we saw Jesus arrested in the garden and his disciples scatter. He's taken to the house of Annas, who's the former high priest and father-in-law of the current high priest, Caiaphas. It's there that Jesus is being questioned inside, while outside, Peter is questioned about his association with Jesus, to which he firmly denies three times that he does not know the man. He has nothing to do with him. And that, of course, ends with the rooster crowing and Peter remembering what Jesus had said he would do. But through it all, we see the sovereignty of God, the sovereign hand of God and the resolve of the Son as he marches on towards the cross. And this morning, we're going to pick back up in John 18, verse 28, as Jesus' trial continues. This passage will revolve around three main characters. We have the cowardly governor, Pilate, we have the bloodthirsty Jews and the righteous Son of God. So let's begin reading today in John eighteen, twenty-eight. It says, There they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled, but could eat the Passover. So Pilate went outside to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered him, if this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. Pilate said to them, take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. The Jews said to him, it is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So here's the scene. In the middle of the night, Annas sends Jesus to Caiaphas. John doesn't record in his gospel what happened there, but from the other gospels, we know that Jesus is... Kind of set up in a sham trial and false accusations of blasphemy are brought against him. For whatever reason, John skips over it to this point, this moment, likely very early in the morning when the Jews bring Jesus to the Roman governor Pilate. Remember, at this time in history, the Roman Empire controlled a massive amount of the known world, including this region in the Middle East. The Empire would allow its conquered nations to continue living their life in much the same way as they did before. But now they'd have to pay taxes to Caesar. They would also have a governor or ruler placed over them to keep them in control. And Pilate was that governor placed in control over the region of Judea from around the years AD 26 to 37. And he was placed there by Emperor Tiberius Caesar. It was a position that held quite a bit of power and authority, but it was also at the same time subservient to the emperor, the emperor in Rome. So if a governor could not keep his region under control, he could be quickly dismissed or possibly killed. It was a bit of a high-risk, high-reward position. Uh, historically, Pilate is not known as a, a good person. He was really a cruel man, and we'll see from our passage today that there's no love lost between him and the Jews. It's an interesting relationship here. He hates the Jews, but is positioned with ruling them and keeping them from rebelling against Rome. And on the other hand, the Jews hate him, but it's under his authority that they are able to continue having their positions of power within Jewish life. In a way, they both need each other. So the Jews come to Pilate very early in the morning, but they won't enter his quarters because it's believed that entering into the house of a Gentile would defile them. And it being the time of the Passover, they wouldn't be able to observe the Passover meal. And in this, we see both hypocrisy and irony. We see the hypocrisy is that these Jews have just come from arresting Jesus in the middle of the night, setting up this sham trial with false accusations. There's nothing legal or just or righteous about what they have done. But now all of a sudden they're concerned about being unclean. The hypocrisy is incredible. And then what irony that they're concerned with being able to observe the Passover meal. Remember what the Passover commemorated. It commemorated the final plague that God sent upon the Egyptians before Pharaoh released the Israelites. In that tenth plague, God said that he would kill the firstborn male of every household in Egypt. The only homes that would be spared were the homes of the Israelites who would kill a spotless lamb... And cover the doorposts of their house in the blood of that lamb. Those houses would be spared or passed over. That's where the name Passover comes from. God then commanded the Israelites to observe the Passover each year going forward as a reminder of what God had done. But not only was the Passover meant to be a reminder, it was also a foreshadowing of something else to come. A future sacrifice. The blood of the lamb spared the Israelites for a night, but it couldn't take away their sins. The sacrificial system in the Old Testament, it temporarily atoned from sins, from the continual sacrificing of innocent animals, but it couldn't permanently take away sin. A greater and more perfect sacrifice was needed. There was a need for a true Passover lamb, and the New Testament writers recognized Jesus as that lamb. When John the Baptist, he first sees Jesus coming, and in John one twenty nine, what does he declare? He says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So John the Baptist, clearly, as soon as he sees the Messiah, recognizes he is the Passover Lamb. And then in 1 Corinthians 5.7, Paul says, Christ, our Passover Lamb, has been sacrificed. And then 1 Peter 1.19, Peter says that we've been ransomed with the precious blood of Christ like that of a lamb, without blemish. See, he is our Passover lamb. The irony is that these Jews and their wickedness are concerned with being able to observe the Passover, while at the same time their evil deeds will actually accomplish the very thing the Passover pointed to. So what more proof do we need that God is in control in this whole situation? His sovereign hand is so evident throughout this entire gospel, and especially in these events surrounding the crucifixion. God is able to even use the evil, wicked intentions of these Jews and the godless hands of the Romans to accomplish his purposes. Jesus is the Passover lamb, and the truth is that there's no salvation apart from him. He's still our Passover lamb. Just as no house in Egypt was spared without the blood on the doorpost, no person will be spared the wrath of God apart from the blood of Jesus The blood of Jesus makes salvation possible. We're redeemed, we're cleansed, we're justified by his blood shed on the cross. And that sacrifice is applied to you when you trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Praise God for the Passover lamb. Pilate, he would have been very familiar with these religious sensitivities of the Jews, especially around holy festivals like the Passover. So he obliges them by coming out to them since they won't come into his headquarters. And you can tell by their exchange, they don't like each other a whole lot, not a whole lot of mutual respect in their responses. And he tells them, if, if he's done something wrong, why don't you just judge him by your own laws? The Sanhedrin was the Jewish ruling body, and they had control over the Jewish life that was given to them by the Roman powers. But one power that was taken away by Rome was the power to execute capital judgment or capital punishment that was a power reserved for Rome alone and that's what they echo in their words when they say it's not lawful for us to put anyone to death there they're not talking about the Jewish law they're talking about the Roman law and John then points out that even even this was to fulfill the words that Jesus has spoken about how he would die so we saw way back in John 3 34 Jesus already alluded to the form of his death When he referenced Moses saying, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. See, Jesus knew that he would die on a Roman cross. If the Jews would have killed him on their own, they likely would have stoned him. That was a traditional form of execution by the Jews. But again, the sovereignty of God here. The Romans are involved to make it possible for this death to be fulfilled on the cross. So let's pick back up here in verse 33 as Pilate begins to question Jesus. John 18, 33 says this. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this out of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. Then Pilate said to them, So you are a king. Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? After he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him but you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? They cried out again, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. If Pilate was even a halfway competent governor, he would be familiar with who Jesus is. For three years, Jesus has been stirring up trouble between him and the religious Jewish leaders. And And this trial right here is happening only days after Jesus had uh, arrived in Jerusalem, being greeted by crowds of hundreds or thousands, calling him the king of Israel. So he certainly would have been on Pilate's radar, especially if people are referring to him as king. Uh, That would have been uh, alarm bells going off, meaning there could be a possible rebellion if someone's claiming to be king when there's really only one emperor in Rome. So, Pilate wants to know if Jesus is the king of the Jews, does he accept this title, and what has he done so bad to make his own people want him dead? Now, Jesus doesn't really accept the title of king of the Jews, but at the same time, he doesn't reject it, but he does tell Pilate he has a kingdom, but it's not of this world. In fact, if his kingdom was of this world, then his followers would be fighting for him He would have let Peter fight to defend him in the garden if it was a earthly kingdom that he was concerned with. But the kingdom that Jesus has transcends any earthly one. Jesus' mission is much bigger than just the Jews or the nation of Israel. He's inaugurating the kingdom of God. And this kingdom, he says, is marked by truth. Jesus says his purpose for being born and coming to the world was to point to the truth. That is pointing to the truth of God's plan for redemption. The truth that the kingdom of God is at hand and the Father is calling and gathering a people to himself. And those who are of the truth recognize and listen to the voice of truth. But Pilate ends this conversation by sarcastically and maybe tragically rejecting the idea of truth in general. He returns to the Jews and tells them, I I don't find any guilt in this man. Now, Pilate's certainly not known as someone who's upright or honest or respectable, but even he finds no guilt, certainly nothing worthy of death from Jesus. And so for the first time, Pilate tries to release Jesus, and he appeals to the Jews, telling them, around this time of Passover, it's customary for me to release to you one Jewish prisoner. Do you want me to release Jesus as that prisoner? To which they, they surprisingly say, not this man, but Barabbas. They want them to release Barabbas. Now John calls Barabbas a robber, but in the other gospels it describes him as being an insurrectionist and a murderer. He's killed people in an attempt to overthrow Roman rule. Matthew says he was a notorious prisoner, so he would have probably been very well known. You can think of people in the history of our country who have been notorious prisoners that everyone knows of. And when given the opportunity for Jesus to be released, the Jews instead demand that Pilate release Barabbas, this murdering terrorist. It's amazing how much gospel imagery is reflected in this narrative. Jesus is basically taking the place of this murderer on death row. Jesus, an innocent man, is taking the place of a convicted killer. But in a way, Barabbas represents every single one of us. I deserve the penalty for my sin. I deserve the wrath of God for rebellion against holy, a holy God, but Jesus took my place. The innocent, perfect Son of God took my place, and I walked away free, just like Barabbas did. The Jews choose Barabbas over Jesus. But now pick back up with me in John 19:1. We're going to keep moving along and see how Pilate responds. It says this: "Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. Pilate said to them, take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered him, we have a law, and according to that law, he ought to die because he has made himself the son of God. When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. He entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, you'll not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and, to, and authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. See, Pilate doesn't want to kill Jesus, but in an attempt to satisfy the Jews, he has Jesus flogged. The Gospel of Mark records a flogging that's given after the death penalty was decided. So most scholars say this was a separate flogging, one maybe not so brutal as the ones that maybe we picture um, or that's represented in, The movie, The Passion of the Christ, this was likely more of a standard punishment for minor offenses, but it would still leave someone in bruised, rough shape. But then on top of that, the soldiers, just out of cruelty and vulgarity, take it a step further and fashion a crown out of thorns and place it on Jesus' head and then put a purple robe on him, mocking him for the supposed title of king of the Jews, and so then Jesus, uh, Jesus is brought out again by Pilate to the Jews. And picture Jesus beaten and bruised, looking ridiculous with this crown of thorns and on his head, blood running down his face, being mocked and humiliated as a king of the Jews. Pilate again declares he finds no guilt in him. And what Pilate's doing is trying to appease the Jews, saying, See, look what I've done to him, and hopefully that will be good enough for the Jews' anger. But to his dismay, it's not. They simply shout, crucify him. They want more. And they tell him that Jesus has to die because he's claimed that he is equal with God. And this frightens Pilate, so he leaves and questions Jesus once again. When Jesus doesn't respond, Pilate emphasizes that and reminds him, don't you know I have the power to release you, the power to either declare you to die or to be free? To which Jesus responds, you would have no authority over me unless it was granted to you from above. This is Pilate desperately trying to reason with Jesus to give him an out to get him off of this path leading to death. But Jesus does the opposite. And Jesus isn't being snarky. He's stating his confidence in the Father. It might seem like Pilate is the one in control. It might seem like Pilate is the one who can take Jesus' life from him or give him freedom. But Jesus knows that there's actually a higher authority. And there's nothing outside of that authority's rule and reign. Any power, any authority that Pilate possesses has been allowed him by God. God is 100% sovereign 100% of the time both when things are going really good and when things look like they're falling apart. I've always been intrigued by a verse in Romans 5, 6, where Paul says, for while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Paul says it's at the right time. In other words, it wasn't an accident that Jesus was born when he was born and died when he died, but the right time was in the middle of times that didn't really seem like the right time. Rome had control over the entire land. The Jews were subject to these foreign rulers. There was all kinds of rampant corruption in the Jewish religious system. And as we've, as we've seen clearly in John's Gospel, it doesn't seem like the best setting. Why not send the Messiah after the Israelites had finally settled in the Promised Land? Why not send him at the height of, of the reign of David or Solomon when Israel was at its finest? But instead, the father sends the son into this first century Roman world and actually uses the wickedness of the Romans and the Pharisees and the corruption of the system to bring about the greatest event in the history of the world, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. I mean, we serve an all-powerful God who is able to do these things, and Jesus lets Pilate know it. And I find myself wondering, do we have that same confidence in our God? Jesus doesn't flinch in following this path because he knows God is in control. Do we have that same confidence in our own lives when we look at the news, when we look at what's going on in our country or around the world? Do we have the same confidence that no authority, no one has any authority except what's been given to them by God? just this morning, I was just thinking about more minor things. This morning, I was sitting on the back porch praying and thinking about this passage, and I felt the Lord rebuke me through his word. He rebuked me for anxiety and worry that that was minor in the big scheme of things, but it was as if God was telling me, "So, so you believe that I'm in control in the most important world-changing events, but Am I not also in control in the very temporal, minor concerns of your life as well? It's checkmate for God there. I, I was convicted and kind of laughed at how, how I had lost sight. Uh, I was looking at the big things that God had in control, but it's like I didn't apply those to the, to the minor things as well. You know, there's nothing that you'll go through that's outside the scope of God's rule and reign. So take heart in that truth. Your your health, your finances, your relationships, your job, your life is in his hands. And so we, may we live like we believe that. Now let's finish up this trial with one more passage beginning in verse 12. John 19:12 says, From then on Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out, "If you release this man, you're not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar." So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the Stone Pavement in an Aramaic Gabbatha. Now it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. He said to the Jews, Behold your king. They cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, We have no king but Caesar. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. So Pilate tried for a third time to release Jesus, but the Jews finally find his pressure point when they tell Pilate that if he releases Jesus, then he must not be a friend of Caesar's because Jesus is supposedly setting himself up as a king. This is a clever move. In the Roman system, subjects were allowed to petition the emperor concerning different things and even their own governors. The chief priests would have been able to lodge a complaint or kind of file a grievance Against Pilate, and here perhaps they're threatening to do that very thing. It wouldn't sound good to the emperor if he heard that one of his governors was letting a guy go free who was claiming to be a king, because there's only one king, Caesar. And we see that Pilate caves under this pressure; his his cowardice is shown. He he brings Jesus out, and despite the Jews, he continually refers to Jesus as their king, which they hate. And now look at the answer the chief priest gives when he's asked if they should crucify their king. He says, we have no king but Caesar. And, you know, as we've read through John, as I've studied John over the last few months, I'm not sure if I can think of a verse that so embodies the wickedness of the Jews more than just that simple phrase. We have no king but Caesar. It's wicked, it's tragic, because God is supposed to be their king. And sadly, this is nothing new. Over 1,000 years before this, God had victoriously led his people into the promised land led by Joshua. But after that, they had no leader. And they had no official leader because God was supposed to be their leader, their king. He had given them their law. He had given them everything they needed to know to live a life according to his righteousness. But they failed time and time again. And for 300 years, God sent judges occasionally to rescue the people and turn their hearts back towards him. Until finally, the people demand that they want a king for themselves. They look at all the pagan nations around, him, around them and they say, we want a king like they have. And so they reject to God as their sole authority. God gave them a king but warned them this is not going to go well. Then fast forward a thousand years to where we're at in John 19, and they're still doing the same thing. They're completely caught up in the power and position of this world. It's tragic, it's wicked, but it's also sadly ironic. Pilate is spitefully calling Jesus their king, but in reality, he actually is their king. He is the Holy One, the promised Messiah. But instead of worshiping him and following him, they send him to the cross. They kill the king of glory. And so what will you do with King Jesus? You either accept him or reject him. There's no in between. You either submit to his lordship or you rebel against it. Pilate was too concerned with protecting his own skin to recognize Jesus' authority. The Jews were so blinded by their wickedness and lust for power that they rejected their own Messiah. Verse 14 reminds us again that this was the Passover. They are rejecting the Passover lamb. The only one who can turn away the wrath of God. So what about you? Are your sins covered? You don't have to be unsure. You're either 100% saved or you're 0% saved. There's nowhere in the middle. And if you aren't 100% sure, I would like to talk with you and pray with you in a moment after we dismiss See, Jesus Christ is the only way to eternal life and for the forgiveness of sins, and it's accepting the sacrifice of the Holy Lamb of God and applying that to your life today at this moment. Would you pray with me?